ordination, priesthood. An invitation. Not the same thing as receiving the power of the priesthood. When you walk through the lives of all these priestly men, you see there is a twofold event. First is an ordination. Then later there is empowerment or ratification of the ordination by heaven. Ordination involves men. Empowerment involves the heavens. In the case of Nephi's brother Jacob, who was ordained by Nephi, we see the pattern set out. Jacob explains about his ordination by his brother, and then later confirms, he firstly obtained mine errand from the Lord, Jacob 1, paragraph 4. There is a difference between the invite extended through ordination and the blessing that comes when the power is conferred by heaven. Other Sheep When Christ appeared as a resurrected being to the people who were gathered as a faithful body on the American continent and showed them the wounds in his hands, in his side, and in his feet, he told them, Ye are they of whom I said, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. I must go to them, and they must hear my voice, and there should be one fold and one shepherd. 3 Nephi 7, Paragraph 3 He explained that the disciples at Jerusalem didn't ask him about it, and they didn't understand who he was talking about. They wrongly supposed that Christ meant he would speak to other sheep through the ministry of the people in Palestine as they spread the message outward. Instead, he meant that he, Christ, would go, as a resurrected being, to scattered remnants of the house of Israel, that he would let them hear his voice, see him, and he would minister to them. And that included, within the body of those that Christ intended to minister to, the people who were writing the Book of Mormon. And then he extended that and said, I have still other sheep in addition to you, and I'm going to go visit with them also. And so, from the record of the Book of Mormon, in just one example, if you want to understand the obscure statement that Christ made, preserved in the New Testament, that he has other sheep to whom he's going to go minister, in order to understand that prophecy, you go to the last in time, the later to interpret the earlier, and the Book of Mormon supplies you that interpretation and explains, yes, Christ meant as a resurrected personage that he would go and he would appear. The record of Christ's appearance in his post-resurrected state in Palestine includes appearing first to two women. Then he spent the better part of the day walking on the road to Emmaus with two disciples, Cleopa and an unidentified other who wrote the record, Luke. Then he appeared to the twelve. Still later, he would appear to the Apostle Paul. And then when he ascended, there were above 500 gathered together at the time that he ascended from the mount. And so there were multiple sightings, multiple witnesses, and multiple audiences to whom he ministered as a post-resurrected being. Then in the Book of Mormon he does exactly the same thing. He appears as a resurrected personage and he ministers. Christ would like mankind to have this information. He wants all to know he is the God of Israel and, indeed, the God of the whole earth. He not only ministered in Palestine and visited the Nephites, but he visited all of his sheep wherever they were located throughout the world. This is what the Book of Mormon was to prove. 
Although it is only a record of a single group of the other sheep, it establishes there are sheep throughout the world to whom he paid a visit after his resurrection. In the title page of the Book of Mormon, now known as the Dedication and the Restoration Edition of Scriptures, it says it was written to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel how great things the Lord hath done for their fathers, and that they may know the covenants of the Lord, that they are not cast off forever and also to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself unto all nations. This reference to all nations confirms the meaning of the term other sheep, as Christ elaborated to the Nephites. The term was intended to cover multiple groups of believers who had been separated from Palestine, and not just a single third group of believers. Christ's ministry after his resurrection, therefore, may have involved many groups who both saw him and heard his voice and, thereby, became part of his sheepfold. The third chapter of Jacob, although an allegory, may be the most detailed account of these other sheep. Outcasts of Israel And he shall set up an ensign for the nations, and assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah, from the four corners of the earth, Isaiah 5, paragraph 5. These are the lost ten tribes of Israel, as well as others who have been led away by God, from time to time, including the Book of Mormon people. See 2 Nephi 12, paragraph 10, 3 Nephi 7, paragraph 3, 1 Nephi 1, paragraph 22 and Alma 8, paragraph 1. Patience As used in Mosiah 1, paragraph 16, patience is not defined as it typically is. Rather, it refers to the patience a child has as he grows into adulthood. There are many years ahead to reach adulthood. There is nothing the child can do to change that, nor do they attempt to do so. In much the same way, most adults have many years ahead of them before they become fit for the second comforter. Just like one cannot rush from childhood into adulthood but must progress by degrees through the many long months into many years, so too, men and women must progress from a smaller degree to a much larger one. Perhaps it takes decades to develop, as necessary, to receive an audience with Christ. Children persist in waiting, growing, and maturing. Their progression into adulthood is gradual. But that process is relentless and marches on through two decades of development and maturity. That is the patience spoken of in this scripture. Patriarchal Blessings Scripturally, Father's blessings had legitimacy because they were spoken through the gift of the Holy Ghost. Three years previous to the death of Adam, he called together his posterity into the valley of Adam on Diamon, and there bestowed upon them his last blessing, and, notwithstanding he was bowed down with great age, being full of the Holy Ghost, predicted whatsoever should befall his posterity unto the latest generation, TNC 154, paragraphs 19 to 20. That was the first patriarchal blessing. It was given by the power of the Spirit, and it was prophecy. It would be appropriate to read priesthood out of that event and to read Holy Ghost, power of the Spirit, word of prophecy into it. 
A patriarchal blessing that is delivered with no benefit of the Spirit is just more ink on paper, but a blessing that is delivered by the power of the Spirit, as a prophecy, is the word of the Lord, the mind of the Lord, and the power of God unto salvation, which cannot be broken. Later, when both Jacob, or Israel, and Lehi called their children before them to bestow their final blessings, it was a reenactment of that event with the first father, Adam, in the valley of Adamondiamon. Jacob and Lehi were, likewise, bowed down with great age, knowing that they were going to soon depart this world. They had no personal investment in the outcome, but only intended to say what was for the blessing and benefit, through the spirit, of what would befall their children after them, things that they would not be around to witness. They confirmed by the spoken voice what it was that God had put into their hearts. A patriarchal blessing is generally given by someone like Lehi or like Jacob. In Genesis 12, paragraphs 14 to 26, they are calling upon all of the experience that they've had with the children throughout their lifetime, and then they're projecting forward by the power of the Spirit. Sometimes what is prophesied to befall a child may be surprising to the one filled with the Spirit who is pronouncing the blessing, but generally, that lifetime of experience with the child helps prepare the mind, the heart, and the connection of the Father to heaven. All of this, every bit of it, can occur with or without priesthood. People need not associate, and therefore limit, the power of the Spirit to influence any person without regard to rank, position, or office. The identification of a tribe of Israel in the Latter-day Saint patriarchal blessings does not restore the covenant, nor does it connect you to the living vine, nor does it alter the status of being Gentile by identification. Patriarchal Priesthood the right of dominion over the creation belonged to God. God gave that right to Adam and Eve. It does not automatically transfer to all their descendants. It was transferred from Adam to his first appointed heir, Seth. Cain would have been the first heir, but because he rebelled, he lost his position. To prevent that loss, Cain slew the next heir, Abel, but it did not accomplish the ambition. Cain was, ultimately, replaced by Seth. Seth was given the right belonging to the first father, Adam, and threw him down generations to Enos, then to his son, Canaan, and his son, Mahalalel, and his son, Jared, and his son, Enoch, and his son, Methuselah, and his son, Lamech, and his son, Noah, and his son, Shem, who was given the new name of Melchizedek. This right is called the patriarchal priesthood. It is the right to hold dominion over the world as the steward, father, or patriarch over all creation. See TNC 154, paragraphs 9 to 20. Joseph Smith explained that there are different portions or degrees of priesthood. The Melchizedek priesthood holds the right from the eternal God and not by descent from father and mother. And that priesthood is as eternal as God himself, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. The second priesthood is patriarchal authority. Go to and finish the temple, and God will fill it with power, and you will then receive more knowledge concerning this priesthood. 
The third is what is called Levitical priesthood, consisting of priests to administer in outward ordinances made without an oath and covenant. The Holy Ghost is God's messenger to administer in all those priesthoods, teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 323. Joseph never clarified he ranked these three from top to middle to bottom. It is possible he spoke of the middle first, then top next, and then the bottom, Levitical. We view the patriarchal priesthood as the highest because the priesthood beginning with Adam was a single holy priesthood after the order of the Son of God. The Aaronic or Levitical priesthood is an association with angels. The Melchizedek is an association with the Son of God. The patriarchal is an association with the Father and makes one a Son of God. There are three levels of priesthood. There are three members of the Godhead. There is a different member of the Godhead associated with the three levels of salvation, the three levels of divine ministration, and correspondingly, the three levels of priesthood. There is a priesthood that belongs to the celestial order, or the world where we presently live. There is a priesthood that belongs to the terrestrial order, or this world in its paradisiacal state during the millennium. There is a priesthood that belongs to the celestial order, or the final redeemed state which men hope to inherit in the Father's kingdom. TNC 69 sets out these conditions of glory, and one can associate a level of priesthood with each. Doing so gives one a better grasp of the idea of fullness of the priesthood. The patriarchal priesthood is not defined in scripture. The most important point is that there is priesthood which exists, but is not contained within or conferred by a church. It comes from one source, the Father. To receive that, read the tenth parable and you will have a description of how it unfolds. The Son is necessarily involved. He is the gatekeeper. He alone decides if a person is going to qualify. When the Son takes it as his work to bring a person before the Father, his ministry can take many years and is designed to cure what is wrong, fix all that is broken, and remove all that is impure in the candidate. Only when the Son can vouch for the individual is he brought before the Father. It is the Father who confers and ordains a man to the highest priesthood. Patriarchal priesthood is obtained by meeting God in his temple, not merely in a ceremony on earth. In the last days, this priesthood will again be called the holy priesthood after the Son of God. The priesthood at the end of the world will be a mirror image of what was in the beginning. Pattern for Understanding Truth and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, Luke 14, paragraph 3. This is the pattern adopted by the writers of the New Testament Gospels. Christ explained how to understand his ministry by using the law and prophets. The Gospels would not be written until decades after this, and they were composed following the Lord's pattern, found in the discussion that took place on the road to Emmaus to vindicate him as the promised Lord and Redeemer, and thereby fulfilling Scripture. This framework appears in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all wove into their records how Christ fulfilled the prophecies. 
Christ proved he came and suffered to fulfill the prophets. He opened the scriptures unto them so that they understood. See Luke 14, paragraph 7. The gospel writers followed this same pattern. Our Lord could have testified by revealing 10,000 new truths to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He could have disclosed to them new visions and predictions. Instead, he expounded the scriptures concerning himself. That is how he wants us to learn the truth. When the Lord first spoke to me, he expounded the scriptures. When he rose from the grave, except for these two disciples, his visit with everyone that day was brief, even perfunctory. With others he proved he had risen. But with these two, the Lord took hours, walking and talking in a discourse wherein he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Luke 14, paragraph 3. They did not recognize him, but they were moved by the content of his sermon. When they arrived at Emmaus, he entered the house because they asked him to stay. If they had not asked, he would have passed by. The Lord does not force himself upon us. We must invite. At the end of this encounter, they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Luke 14, paragraph 4. It is not necessary to reveal any new thing in order to open eyes to everything the Lord has and is doing. Nothing apart from expounding the scriptures is required. He did not think it was necessary even when he arose from the dead. In the first vision, Christ quoted or paraphrased Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Paul. Like his discourse on the road to Emmaus, in the first vision our Lord expounded scripture. This is the condition of the world. Today is when mankind searches the earth and does not find the word of God, while the scriptures are available and ignored. When Nephi visited Joseph Smith, he quoted prophecies from Malachi, Isaiah, Peter, and Joel. See Joseph Smith History Part 3, paragraphs 1 to 12. The pattern used by the Lord to reveal new truth is the same in every generation. The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His path is straight and his course is one eternal round. Truth is best advanced by opening the scriptures. See also the glossary entry, Studying the Scriptures. Peacemaker And blessed are all the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, Matthew 3, paragraph 12. More often than not, those who are peacemakers will be abused. They will have to endure aggression and give a soft word in return. See Proverbs 2, paragraph 152. There will be no end to the peace which comes from Christ because there was no end to the suffering he was willing to endure. See Isaiah 4, paragraph 1. When mankind hearkens to the Lord's commandments, they have peace like a flowing river. See Isaiah 17, paragraph 3. This is because the Lord will fight for them and they can hold their peace. The Lord will fight Zion's battles. When a man is right before God, even his enemies are at peace with him. See Proverbs 2, paragraph 191, at least until his time comes and his mission is completed. 
CTNC 139, paragraph 9, and John 10, paragraph 10. When the Lord was taken with violence and crucified, he was at peace. See Luke 13, paragraph 19 and 21. He purchased peace through what he suffered. He alone can share that with all. Through him, the peacemakers have found this peace. This is why they have become his children, for he has begotten them. See Mosiah 11, paragraph 28. In a world of violence and abuse, it is peace that many seek. But that peace comes only to the children of God and only because they know they are the children of God. At their rebirth, they are at rest from the cares of this dreary world and are informed by a better promise of things to come. See Alma 10, paragraph 4 and Moroni 7, paragraph 2. Those who bring peace bring hope to this world. This world is filled with tribulation, but the Lord has overcome this world. See John 9, paragraph 18. Many have experienced this peace and have become the children of God and then have been persecuted, hated, reviled, and killed. Peace is a gift from Christ, and his peace is for this world and the world to come. See John 9, paragraph 9. But the promise of triumph is hereafter, when the world can no longer make any claim upon a child of God, see TNC 139, paragraph 7. Though a man may declare peace, the world will not be at peace until the Lord slays the wicked, see Revelation 8, paragraph 1. Peace, as all other sacred things in our day, must be internal. We live in a day of overwhelming ignorance, foolishness, and wickedness. It is not possible to obtain peace except on the terms which allow it. If you live those, you will have peace. But the world will not live them with you. To be a child of God and no peace is, in our day, to cry repentance and to bring others to Christ.